Amen. How we should praise the Lord for the grace that he has given us. He has given us so much better than we deserve. And how grateful we should be to him as we worship him this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, the 19th chapter. As we uh, look at God's Word together, as he challenges us, I think today, of recognizing how we have gotten better than we deserve and how we are to give better than what we deserve. We get better, we give better. That's the basic message that God calls us to, I think, in Luke chapter 19. Now, let me set the passage for you this morning, okay? Basically, you look at Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. These are his last days. As a matter of fact, in just a few more moments, a few more days, you will see him go through the climax of his earthly ministry. You will see the charges, the trials, the suffering, the cross, and thank God, the resurrection itself. On his way to Jerusalem, though, he comes through Jericho. The scripture tells us in chapter 18 that as he is walking toward Jericho, he has all of these people around him. The crowds have gathered. And he is walking with this multitude of people when he hears this beggar cry out for mercy. Jesus looks at blind Bartimaeus and he brings healing to his life. Jesus demonstrates power in this individual's life. And then he continues on. And in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, we see him entering into Jericho itself. So let's pick up the narrative there, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short, short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The story is told of Zacchaeus. We're told that Jesus comes in to Jericho and all of this crowd comes around to see Jesus. They've heard about him, okay? Jesus has now gained popularity among the people, especially the people of the land. A multitude had followed Jesus into Jericho. Now individuals are coming to see what this is all about to see who Jesus is, to see if he's truly who they've heard about. They want to see if he is the Messiah. You can imagine this great crowd gathering around to hear more about the Nazarene. You know, let me stop here before we really get into the rest of this passage and say this. I believe we live in a world that still is suspicious 
or at least they're thinking or curious about Jesus. I think there are a lot of people that have heard about Jesus. There are a lot of people that have heard different ones talk about Jesus. They, they've seen churches that come together around Jesus. And there's still all kinds of questions that certain people have. As a matter of fact, this morning, I got a text from Casey. Uh, most of you know that our college students are on beach retreat. Don't you wish you were with them, huh? Some 160 folks down at Panama City Beach right now. And I've been keeping up with them, trying to find out what's going on, how the movement of God is coming in their lives. And, and Casey texted me this morning and said they had had several conversations with young ladies who had said they had never really heard the gospel. They had never really opened a Bible. Now, let me just say to you that we have a lot of students that come to Louisiana Tech from North Louisiana, some from South Louisiana, Arkansas. I mean, you think about basically the Bible Belt itself, right? Now, I know they come from other places. I know we, we have people from, that are international. I understand that. But I'm saying to you that the most of these individuals have probably been saturated with a culture that supposedly reveres the Scripture. And yet, several of them had never opened the Bible for themselves. They had never studied it by themselves. Th those are some of the people that I'm talking about. Like, they've heard about Jesus, but they've not personally connected with Jesus. And I think there are a lot of those people still out there. Well, they may come to church every now and then to try to find out a little more about him. They may open a website. They may listen maybe to a message. Or they may just look at other people's lives. Those people that claim to be Christ followers, perhaps they just look at their lives to just kind of examine to see what is this Jesus all about and how does he make himself apparent in these people's lives. Maybe that's what they're doing. But I say to you, there are a lot of people still like Zacchaeus who are interested in Jesus, but they've not made a personal connection with him. We need to be aware of that, and we need to live accordingly. But again, Zacchaeus comes. The crowd is around. He, he comes. He wants to see Jesus, but he has a problem. He's a short guy, right? Don't miss the humor of Scripture, all right? I mean, this is a humorous note that the Holy Spirit just kind of allowed Dr. Luke to put in. He can't see over the crowd. He, 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 he is vertically challenged. <laughs> you know, I don't like to make fun of those people who are short or vertically challenged. I've always rejected that old song that we would sing in, when we were children. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. How insulting was that? I, and, and you know what? It is hard for me to even read through this scripture without launching into that song. <laughs> but he could not see over the crowds. Again, Jesus has gained popularity. He's healed people. There have been miracles. People have heard about him. They, they've come to him. You'll note later on in this same chapter, you have recorded for you the triumphal entry. When he comes into Jerusalem itself, really just this week before his death, 
people are still coming and they're recognizing him and his authority so there are a lot of people who are coming before Jesus so there's a great crowd but Zacchaeus can't see some of you have been in great crowds you know what it's like when it's difficult to try to see something most of you know now that my family and I have an affinity for a place called Disney World we enjoy it we love it uh, we went and did some other things this summer our kids still ask us when are we going to Disney World I mean come on you've seen the Grand Canyon and you still want to see Mickey yes so when you go to Disney World especially when you go in the peak seasons or I mean some of you've been there summer there are all kinds of people it's like they've heard about this place too and they show up especially when they're main events one of the reasons we love Disney World is because of the parades and the fireworks I think Disney does a parade and fireworks shows unlike anybody else just my personal opinion no offense Jeremy Fourth of July is good Disney's still a little better right and people just show up for those moments now we've been we're kind of veterans of Disney we have our spreadsheets we know where we're going each day where we're going to eat all those kinds of things but we make sure that we get to a certain place by a certain time to be able to watch certain parades and certain fireworks especially at Magic Kingdom we know exactly the corner to get upon we we send somebody they go get the hot dogs we just lay out right there in the whole corner it's it's the bridges corner for that day we eat our hot dogs we get ready we're there like two three hours before sometimes and have you ever noticed how people will still try to take your spot have you ever noticed that <laughs> It's a very tense time in my family's life. I'm going to tell you. I'll look at the boys. I say, do not move. You stay on that spot. Somebody will get it. Well, I got to go to the bathroom. Too bad. Stay right there. Do you not notice how these people behind us are creeping up? I say it loud enough so those people behind us can hear us. It stresses my testimony. But I do know that if I don't get there and I don't get in that place, I can't see over. And a lot of times when the fireworks come, look, if I'm calling you out here, I'm sorry, all right? There's, there's an altar that you can come and repent in afterwards. But there are those people that put their kids on their shoulders. <laughs> do you know how difficult it is for the rest of us? Well, I'm just saying to you, I can empathize with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about him. He wanted to see if he was everything that he had been told. So he tried. He did what he could. But he could not see over the crowds. So what does Zacchaeus do? Well, notice it says that he moves to this sycamore tree. Some have identified it as like a fig mulberry tree. If you go to Jericho today and I actually hope that some of you will travel with me and Dale next year in March or so as we go over to the Holy Land 
If you go into Jericho and you go to one of the major squares, you will see a huge sycamore tree. And it is perfect. It's kind of low to the ground in many ways, but it has great branches that go out easy for Zacchaeus to climb up in. He climbed up into that tree because he was not going to be deterred from seeing Jesus. Now, I don't know if there's something more here. I've been trying to work with it this week. I mean, you know, because, I mean, this is smart, right? I've tried to decide, are shorter people naturally smarter than taller people? I don't know. I'm working on it. But I'm trying to find a biblical theory here somewhere along the way. He goes to the tree. He looks out. He sees Jesus coming. Jesus is walking by. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops calls him by name and says, hey, it is necessary for me to come to your house to abide. And this is where I give you that first truth again. We get better than we deserve. There's Zacchaeus again, looking down, trying to see Jesus. Jesus comes directly to him, looks up at him, he knows his name, he knows his character, he knows all about this man, and he says, I want to stay, I need to stay. It is necessary, literally is what it means. It is necessary for me to go to your house. So let's flesh that out for a moment. He knew Zacchaeus' name. Can any of you say, wow? I mean, that he would know Zacchaeus' name as far as we know, they have never met. Zacchaeus had just heard about this man. He is there to try to see what he can find out about him. And Jesus calls him by name. If you've never met someone, especially someone of some kind of public stature, and all of a sudden you're in the crowd and they call you by name, would it not make you stop for a moment? Let's say you're in London. There you are. Queen Elizabeth is having some gathering. You are in the crowd, and all of a sudden, Queen Elizabeth stops. And she says, Reggie Bridges. <laughs> what a bloody joy to see you here today. I need to have tea with you. First, you'd be astonished because you're thinking, she's got Southern heritage. Why can she speak like that? <laughs> but I mean, you would be amazed, would you not? I mean, I mean, this public figure, this person that has no idea, you would think has no idea who you are, all of a sudden calls you by name. Get this. Don't, don't miss it. Jesus finds Zacchaeus and he calls him by name. Because Jesus knows this guy. You see, I don't think he even had to say, Zacchaeus, come down. I think Zacchaeus fell out of the tree when he heard this. I mean, he's astonished. He knows my name. But you don't forget this. Jesus always knows your name. And he always has. And, and what's more? He knows your real character. He does. 
His knowledge goes beyond name recognition. Zacchaeus, the name itself, it comes from the Hebrew. It means something like pure or innocent. But if you were to look at the character of Zacchaeus as it is reflected in this passage, it is anything but pure or innocent. He may have the surface name. He may have this superficial purity for people to see. But when you were to drill down into his character, you would find something that was impure and unrighteous. The scripture identifies him for us in verse 2 as Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Now, many of you who have studied the scripture before, you know this. Tax collectors were despised in the New Testament day. Not just that they collected taxes, but that they had somehow conspired with the Romans. That they were traitors to their own people. That they had given over. Here's Zacchaeus having this Hebrew name, most likely, especially as you read on down into verse 9, is that he was a literal son of Abraham, but he had crossed the lines by helping the Romans collect Taxes. Jericho was an important tax collection center because of the passing caravans, but also because of the great balsam groves, tree groves that you would have found. It was a great center. And Zacchaeus, well, he had conspired with the Romans and again, in many ways, had become known as a traitor. But also, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a thief. If you look on down, especially Zacchaeus' response, he knows that he has defrauded individuals. He's a thief, verse 9 or verse 8. He's a thief. And he is chief among the tax collectors. That word is only used here in all the New Testament. But basically it means that he was the one who was in charge of all of this tax collection that was going on in Jericho. So he himself had crossed the line of morality, but also he was encouraging others. He was approving of others. He was the chief thief. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew it. He knew his name, but he also knew his real character. Jesus knew what he was doing when he went to the house of Zacchaeus. You know, some may say, well, you know, Jesus, he, you know, he, just, he just happened to be in that house. He didn't realize he was as bad. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He called him by name because he knew his name, but also he knew this man's real character. But this is what I love about this passage. Jesus still went to his house. He knew his name. He knew his real character. And yet, what did Jesus do? He still went to the house. Folks, I love that because that is a picture of grace. That is the gift of grace. That he knew him 
and he still ate with him. He knew him, his character, and then he sat down at a meal. Sitting down at a meal is equivalent to this idea of having fellowship or connecting with people. It's relational, right? Even to this day, even to this day, when you are able to share a meal together, it's kind of like you have this sense of connection and fellowship together. Uh, you invite another family over to your house. You go out with somebody else. There's this connection. I, I love it. Dr. Smith, again, he's going to be here tonight. Um, he'll be here this week. Y'all to come. Give him as much grief as you can. Uh, he was my professor, my mentor. I can do that now that I've passed and uh, I've gotten my degrees. I love to be able to give him the grief. But I will never forget Dr. Smith talking to us about how God chooses like a meal to demonstrate fellowship and relationship. And I remember him saying specifically that it was not accidental that Christ instituted his supper. This idea of the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper, as a way to demonstrate the unity, fellowship, and connection of the church. It was no accident that he did that. Because it is very natural when you're sitting around a table or you're enjoying a meal to know the fellowship and connection with one another. Jesus said, I want to go to your house and I want to eat with you. Very similar story in John chapter 4. You remember Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. He, he's talking with her. He, he knows all about her. I mean, as the conversation moves, he even speaks about the relationships that she's, she's had. And when he says, hey, go get your husband, bring him. I don't have a husband. I've had five. Remember all of that? Or, or he says, you've had five. That's right. I know who you are. Jesus knew all about the Samaritan woman. He still did what? He offered her the spiritual, living, eternal water. Let's bring it home a little closer. Jesus knows and he knew all about us. Sometimes that can be frightening to think that somebody can know all about us. There are things we like to keep boxed up. There are things we like to keep kind of shelved back. With Jesus, he knows everything. He knows who you are and he knows who I am. And he knew who you were before you had ever accepted him or trusted in him. He knew everything about me before I ever came to faith in him. He knew all of those things. He knew all of our weaknesses. He knew all of our flaws and all of our failures. And yet he still offered salvation to us. That's grace. That's grace. That he can know all about us. And that he can offer such love and mercy to us. You see, all of us in this place... We've gotten better than what we deserve.
We've gotten better than what we deserve. Even when other people were grumbling, Jesus still gave better than what Zacchaeus deserved. Oh yeah, don't miss it. I mean, he comes down, he receives Jesus joyfully. The other people, when they see it, verse 7, when they see what happens, they all complain. Maybe that's some of our Baptist ancestry right there. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. They complained about Jesus eating with a sinner. The, the Greek word there for complain sounds very much like the activity of complaining itself. It's kind of like our English word, to murmur. Think about it. That English word itself, murmur, sounds a lot like murmuring. It's kind of like, mmm, you know, like people, mmm. You see what they just did? Mmm. It's that same murmur. It, it's, it's almost like they just broke out in that, mmm. Did you see Jesus is going to eat for those people? Jesus is going down to Zacchaeus' house. He, he's going to have a fellowship meal with them. He's going down to that sinner's house. If you study the Gospel of Luke, Luke emphasizes Jesus' ministry to the social outcast of the day. You ought to go through and just read it. You can pick it out. How he really highlights how Jesus touched those who were on the margins. He touched the lives of people who had been pushed out of the social communities. As a matter of fact, back in Luke chapter 15, it said this of Jesus. It said that he receives sinners. They complained about that because he received and ate with sinners. Again, Jesus gave better than what Zacchaeus deserved. And Jesus continues to give us better than what we deserve. So let me give you the second truth quickly, okay? You're not going to believe this, but we may get out a little early today. Because we have gotten better than what we deserve, we should give better than what we deserve or what others deserve. We should give better than what others deserve. Look at Zacchaeus. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Just take that one for a moment. Jesus didn't say you had to give half of your goods to the poor. But somehow something had sparked in Zacchaeus' life. Something had changed. Something had transformed. And he said, you know what? I've got to do better for others than what they deserve. I've got to give. I have gotten, and we'll see that in a moment, but I've got to now turn around and give. It's echoed again, the latter part of verse 8. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation. By the way, I, I don't think that's an appropriate translation. When you look at the original language, this is one of those conditional sentences or conditional statements, I should say, that affirms the reality. In other words, it should say, since I have taken from others, since I have taken 
from people by false accusation. Since it has been a reality in my life. He says, because I've done this, he said, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus says, I make restitution. The practice of restitution has basically been pushed aside in many places today. Oh, legally, there are still those moments of restitution, but I'm talking about when it's just out of that God-inspired motivation of, hey, I need to make some things right. Legally, he was to pay back what he had defrauded people for. And if you look back at the Old Testament law, maybe add a fifth to it. Listen to what he says. I'm going to give back fourfold. Again, he's going to give better to people than what they deserve. He gives more than required. Why? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now, there is some debate whether salvation occurred when he got down from the tree, salvation when he's talking to Jesus, salvation when he's... I don't know the precise moment when eternal life entered into his heart, but let me say this to you. He was saved. Don't mistake it. Salvation had come to Zacchaeus. Salvation had come into the household itself. And because of that, he was motivated to give people, to give others better than they deserved. Folks, that's a theme, I think, that we need to live by. I I really do. If we could get this one, oh, how it would help in our relationships, how it would help us as we advance the kingdom of God. If we just live by this principle, give people better than what they deserve. Because we've gotten better. Than what we deserve. The Christ, Christian people, we should be people of grace. Don't you believe that? We, we ought to be people of grace. Now, I'm not saying we somehow smothered the truth. You're not helping anybody by forsaking the truth. Jesus always stood for the truth. But he also was able to extend grace to people. You see, you and I have benefited from the grace of God. Don't forget it. I keep saying that because you know what? I think oftentimes we do. We've been saved, you know, let's see, I'm almost about to be in that next decade of life. I don't even want to mention it right now. I was saved when I was 12. Some time ago. I've been in the church all of my life. Always have. Love the church. But sometimes there is the temptation to think that I've arrived or to think that I deserved what I have today. There's the temptation. You know, you're doing pretty well. You've done... you. You got through this day. You, 
you were able to back off when those people were crowding you. You didn't curse them. What a feat. I need to be constantly reminded that I didn't get to where I am because of what I've done. And I don't maintain my salvation because of what I do. The grace of God is the only thing that holds me in place. Every day I'm dependent upon getting better than what I deserve. And there is a loving God who's extended that grace to me. And I say to you that we as a people of God, we need to give people better than what they deserve. When true salvation comes in our hearts and lives, we are giving people not only are we financially giving people, we ought to be grace-giving people. That we give grace to others. Yes, there are days I'm frustrated. Yes, there are days you are frustrated. Yes, there are days that these people deserve certain things. But instead of giving them what they deserve, why don't you give them grace? Zacchaeus was saved. God had given him life. And now he was extending life. To others. Two questions as I close. Have you received better than you deserve through Jesus and his salvation? I say this often, I'll say it again. I would love to assume that everybody in this place is saved, but to be honest, that's not the case. Listen to what Jesus said The Son of Man comes to seek and save that which was lost. So in other words, he shows up this morning knowing who you are and offering you grace. You're here this morning by a divine appointment. You're here this morning because God ordained this moment for you to hear this message. If you've never accepted him, you've never totally given your life to him, I ask you this morning to place your faith and trust in him. He's seeking you and he wants to save you. Second question. For those of you who are saved, very simply, are you giving people better than they deserve? Are you doing it? Or today, by God's grace and His strength, do you need to recommit yourself to giving grace to other people? May we respond to God in His Word. May we be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I come to you now and, Lord, we ask for your favor to just rest upon this place. God, there are so many of us in this place who need to just drop to our knees and thank you for giving us better than we deserve. Thank you for extending grace to us. And thank you for continuing to do that in our hearts and lives. Father, for those in this place that have not trusted you, Lord, they've heard about you. They may be curious. They may have come even this day just to show up, see what Jesus was about or see what the church was about. Father, I pray that you'd speak in power to them today. That you'd lead them to salvation. And for all of us, as we come before you recognizing 
what you've done for us, Lord, I pray that we'd be people who would give that grace to others. Move now in our midst. We pray it in Jesus' name.